I'm Lauren, and I'm a veterinarian. I'm JJ, and I'm a veterinary technician. And you're listening to IntroVets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. (laughs) Welcome, everybody, to IntroVets Podcast. Hello. Today we have a special guest, Dr. Shelby Agnew. Uh, when we asked Dr. Agnew for uh, for bio information, the first thing that she put, uh, she wanted everyone to know is that she's not an introvert. She's an extrovert. She is a noted extrovert. So uh, Dr. Agnew is extroverted. That is the big difference between us. Dr. Agnew graduated from Auburn University College of Veterinary Medicine in 2013. Before that, she earned her degree in animal dairy science, also from Auburn. And she's currently self-employed as a relief veterinarian. She's had her relief veterinary practice for two years. She also serves as the secretary and treasurer for the local veterinary association. She's the representative for that local association to the state association. And she's on the state association legislative committee. So she's super not busy at all. Mm. Definitely not. And she's got a ton of hobbies. So Dr. Agnew loves hiking, running, traveling, planning to travel, which is, I agree, a separate hobby, (laughs) Um, (laughs) rock climbing. And she has completed a 50-kilometer run in the past in 2017. And she's also been to all 50 states. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Agnew. Thank you. Cool. This is cool. (laughs) Okay, today we're going to be talking about veterinary careers, and JJ is going to lead us off. Okay, Dr. Agnew. So give us a little bit of your background, like what different areas of veterinary medicine have you worked in? Yeah, so when I was 14, I started as a kennel assistant uh, at a small animal practice, like I think a lot of veterinarians did, Um, and After that, I actually moved to being a veterinary assistant for an equine practice. When I got to college, I thought I wanted to do large animal. So especially being an animal and dairy science, I got the opportunity to do research um, in undergrad and work at the swine unit in Auburn as part of a research team. And then also just helping out from more of a farming standpoint than, than doing veterinary medicine part of it. So In vet school, I still thought I wanted to do large animal. I focused on that my senior year. My preceptorship was actually in a um, in a dairy practice mostly. I think it was about forty percent dairy. They also just did mixed animals, so we did small animal as well. After that, I did my first job was in a corporate small animal practice, honestly because that was what was available near my husband boyfriend at the time. And I went from corporate medicine to working as an associate at a small, just private practice. Uh, and I was there for three years, learned through that. They they worked with the local shelter. So I learned about shelter work through that and ended up working in shelter medicine for about six months. That was amazing and incredible and a terrible fit for me. And <laughs> so I left that after six months and wasn't really sure what I wanted to do and had seen both myself and other people make some mistakes about being in bad fits. So I chose to do relief work after that and started out doing just relief work for to give myself some breathing room 
to find um, what I did want to do long term and a good a good place for me. And then I realized that this was the the fit. This was the fit. So I've been doing this for uh, two years and it's it's the fit. And so I've done all of those things. So, Dr. Agnew, in your description, one of the themes that I noticed is this idea of sort of continual self-learning and self-discovery where you, you know, you really thought you wanted to work with large animals and you did dairy practice. And then you found that actually life sort of got in the way of that. So you started small animal practice and that led you, you know, down a series of job opportunities until you ended up starting your own business. And what I love about that and and in hearing other people's stories like that is this idea of, you know, you don't have to have everything about your life figured out right now, like right now, or even back when, you know, when you start veterinary school or even in college. Can you talk a little bit about how that journey from large animal medicine to where you are now in relief work has kind of made you grow? And um, how did that feel like? What did that feel like when you were taking those steps away from sort of what you thought you wanted to do? Was it scary? How did you feel? Yeah, I think at first it felt felt really scary. Um, I'm one of those that I, I, I kind of joke that every little girl wanted to be a vet at some point in their life. And I think that's true. Most mm-hmm. people grow yeah. out of it. Yeah. Um, and ah. I didn't. Yeah. Um, and the, the the problem with that for me is that veterinary school and becoming a veteran and completing veterinary school was the goal. And so now I've completed that goal and I'm like, well, I'm a vet now. And there was a time where I definitely thought a lot about, okay, I've done the thing and this is it. And, and here we are and we're done. So I had that narrative in my head. And then part of the reason I didn't go into mixed or large animal practice is because when I was doing my preceptorship, I was bad at it. A lot of what you're doing is palpating dairy cows to find out how pregnant they are. Um, And they've bred those suckers really big now. Um, And I'm five foot three. And um, (laughs) I I, and there are doctors that are smaller than me and do dairy practice. And I honest to goodness don't know how they do it. Um, But I practically needed a snorkel. Um, (laughs) So. Oh, episode name, episode title, The Snorkel, <laughs> I call it. So, Oh, my God. So I, just, I mean, I, I get it. I <laughs> wasn't very good at it. And that's a really scary place to be when you're a month away from graduation and having to find your first like big kid job. Um, so I was like, I, I got to find I got to find something. So I've had, you know, I, I ended up in um, corporate medicine um, working for one of the big corporations that hires a bunch of vets. The nice thing about it is, is that they're okay with somebody that hadn't focused on small animal medicine for the last four years. At the clinic I was at, I had a lot of mentorship on the front end to at least get me ready for that, that small animal general practice. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So not everyone I, has that experience. So that that's actually good. Right. That's a positive. Yeah. I was I was really, really lucky. Um, shout out to um Dr. Robbie, who was my uh clinical person at that that job. So <laughs> um, but I had to leave that job because of 
life as well. And I started realizing that what was really hard for me within the corporate practice is how much the weekend demand was and how much just the demand to take in, say yes to everything and stay late, um, et cetera. And I had determined a long time ago that I wasn't going to give my life to this profession in a very real way. Um, I've had depressive episodes and I basically decided I'm not going to. I'm if if it comes between this career and my life, I'm gonna choose my life. So I I transitioned to a private practice that was also really really good, and had I had a very good boss. Um, but I found that I wanted to learn new things, and I got involved with the shelter. I ended up actually on while I was working for him. I ended up on the shelter's board. Um, and as their kind of volunteer shelter vet. And it it was kind of like the magic of getting to go back to large animal without doing it because it was herd medicine. And that was so much fun. And that was, I think around then I started thinking of, oh, I don't have to be stagnant. So I'd been out in veterinary practice for about five years and I was like, oh, I don't have to be stagnant. I don't have to stay in the small animal private practice world. There are other things. And I, you know, took the jump into shelter medicine and it was completely different and completely new, but not so different and so new that I was not ready for it, if that makes sense. Yeah. It took a long time to figure out that there's other things that I can do without having to be off in left field and having to go back to school to do them. But it was it was like it was really big to realize that and that this it was not a closed world. I think that's really, really important. And when you mentioned, you know, your experience with depressive episodes and you making a um, what am I trying to say? A conscious effort to choose life. Exactly. Yes. Bearing the, yeah, that that stuck out to me, too. Like I wanted to be like, hey. How did you reach that conclusion at such a young age? Like, what yeah. mindset would you have going into that? Because that that would be so so refreshing. Because I couldn't I couldn't make my brain do that when I was in my twenties or really in thirties either. So how did you how did you do that, Doctor Agnew? <laughs> um, I've always had a really good support system. I think that that's honestly part of it. The first time I struggled with depressive episodes was in college before I learned that veterinary medicine had this issue. And I wasn't going to give up veterinary medicine because I was like, that's the goal. That's the only thing. So I still went into school and then I learned, you know, hey, the veterinary field has a lot of issues with mental health problems too. And so I was halfway through veterinary school and I went, okay, so I have with my depressive episodes, gone into a field that's not necessarily good for this. And I was like, well, I'm sure, certainly not going to kill myself for this. Like, not worth it. But I still love this. So that was, I think it was before I even graduated that I was, that I determined that whatever it takes, even if that meant not having as much financial success as I wanted or having to do something that didn't meet 
what other people expected of me or what I expected of me that I would do whatever it took to be safe and sane. Well, yeah. I mean, gosh, what a, what a good outlook. Mm-hmm. I think that that's so important. And I think we've done a really good job advertising the fact that veterinary medicine has uh, is associated with some mental health problems now whether that's the demands of the field or a unique situation or a certain personality type that's attracted to being a veterinarian i don't think we know and i'm not sure how studyable that is right it's going to be hard to to parse that out but if we all can of all the above know, yeah and, <laughs> and also and also access i, yeah. I think it's uh, n- you have to admit that 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 there is access just like with people that 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 own guns that there's more access you mean access to, to lethal, lethal means, means. I yeah. see. Mm-hmm. and yeah. that's that's an ugly thing to say but it yeah. i think it has to be part well, of the conversation too yeah sorry <laughs> uh no yeah. i think you're right so i think you know if we can all sort of think to ourselves like you did hey Hey, my family has a history of, or I have a history of, you know, anxiety, depression, alcoholism, substance abuse, like whatever that might be for the individual person. Then just knowing this field that I've chosen, unfortunately, comes with risks, right? Uh, Similar to other professions that have different sorts of risks. And then just saying to yourself, like, when it gets to the point where, it's me or my job, I'm going to pick me. I think that's a very healthy outlook. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to start saying that to people. Look, if it's between you and your job, pick you. Because I see, unfortunately, so many of us that have done the opposite. And, um, And that's not, you know, that's not healthy. And it certainly is not just veterinarians that struggle with this, but, you know, but, but man, we, um, Gosh, I know so many people that are that are really actively struggling and that, um, you know, that struggle for a long time and gave up. And I just don't want to see anybody else have to go through that. Um, Agreed. Agreed. I think always pick you and then always pick your family and the people that are important. And then you have to have well, most of us have to have a job. Yeah, most of us. But but, yeah, I was going to say most of us have to have a job, but it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to look like what you see, like what you're looking at right now. You can stay in the veterinary field and it can look completely different or you can leave the veterinary field. Before you do that, there's a lot of other things. And I think you get that the blinders on of this is it and I'm stuck. And Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Being stuck is a very hopeless feeling. Yeah. So I think if we can go over some career opportunities to help people feel like they're not stuck this is going to be a step in the right direction because you can do a lot with this degree. We can do a lot as veterinarians. So Dr. Agnew, it looks like you've kind of uh, visited several of them, but what all other options are there for veterinarians? So I think that there are a lot of things that you can do and we come out of school and we think there's large animal, there's small animal, there's mixed practice, there's equine. And without specializing, that's kind of it. And the first things that I was introduced to were doing emergency work either after hours or on the weekends. Um, And then if you are in a larger city, there's also daytime emergency work as well, if you are so lucky. There's also going into 
shelter work. So there's doing the shelter work where you're actually in charge of the animals themselves and their health. And then there are veterinarians that just do high volume, high quality spay neuter. Those are two different things. Owning your own business is a completely different thing. So people just think about being an associate, but you can also own your own business. And I think a lot of people look at, oh, God, owning my own business. I came out of vet school. I'm in a ton of debt. Now I have to buy this giant building and stock it with all of these machines. And that seems like a whole thing. But you don't necessarily have to do that. You can also own your own business and do mobile practice. So you don't have the big building and the real estate. You own a practice that is in an RV. There are also veterinarians that they own their own business and um, all they do is at-home euthanasias. And it seems very odd. And I didn't really think that you could have a full-time business in a mid-sized city like ours and do that, but you can. And some people will pair that with hospice work. So they're doing end-of-life care for uh, patients as well as euthanasias, but some people just do the euthanasias. There are people that also, they have veterinarians as their clients. So they do contract work like I do, where you're just giving people the day off and then taking over their practice. But then there's also people that contract just the ultrasound. So a lot of veterinarians that are small animal associates and owners don't have the time to get really, really good at ultrasound. But if you have the time to get really, really good at ultrasound and you don't necessarily have to be a radiologist to be good at it and good enough to assist your colleagues, you can just go and do ultrasound at different clinics. And some people, in addition to not being able to have the time, they don't have the time to get good at it. They don't have the money to purchase one. So there are two. So there's in our mid-sized city, there are two people that all they do is ultrasound for clinics in the area, maybe more. Um, there are people that just offer acupuncture or chiropractor work or things of that nature. And that is something that you generally have to do additional continuing education, but it's not the kind of thing where you have to go back and do an internship and a residency um, and so, and things of that nature. So they offer that as a service to a veterinary clinic where they come in and do that for other people's clients, just that service. So those are all things that you can do. And I haven't even left small animal yet. If you leave small animal a little bit, you can work in industry. So clinic companies like IDEX and Zoetis um, are the ones I think of off the top of my head, but they need veterinarians that basically know their products really well and can help. There is marketing to it, but also just explain how those products work and how the, they, they can be useful to owners. So and they they pay really well. And it's a it's a job that is completely different from small animal practice. There's right now, I think they're looking for contract work for people to go and inspect chicken houses and make sure that they're safe and, uh, per, you know, like health, they're meeting all their health standards. And my understanding from that is that you don't need a background in poultry medicine, that that's something that the USDA will teach you. You, you can't be around chickens or poultry in your free time to do that, which is why I can't do it. But 
but that's something that you can do. Um, and then if you want to, like if you have a burning desire to go back to school, but you don't want to do the residency, there's also people get masters of public health. And I there was this like really big worldwide pandemic last year that was due to a zoonotic disease. So a disease that causes humans to get sick from a, that animals carry. And so there's a place for veterinarians in public health response as well. So all of those things, the, the day-to-day looks completely different. And, you know, some of them are weekends and overnights, and some of them are nine to five, and some of them travel a lot, and some of them don't. And some of them, you're your own boss and make your own schedule. And some of them, you're at somebody else's beck and call. But there's all of those things are available and they're completely different. And you can do all of them with the degree that you worked so hard and spent so much time to get without doing anything else. That's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, there are a lot of options. I think it's very tempting to, not tempting. It's very common for people to feel trapped in just the few initial options you mentioned, like I can be large animal or small animal, but associate or own. But, you know, and I've fallen into that trap myself before of feeling like, oh, I have such a limited option of what to do and I don't want to do the other two options I can think of. So I'll stick with this one, even though it's not, you know, I don't feel fulfilled, you know. Um But you're absolutely right. There are so many things that you can do. And also, I'll just say this. There are so many things that you can do. You can change what you want to do right now. You can change what you're going to do eventually. But the thing that you initially change to doesn't have to be your final plan. I think people trap themselves there, too. Correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something where I think... I'll I'll do the our generation thing, but I think our generation, you know, my parents have both my parents work for corporations for a really long time and they got good benefits from doing that. But and they they have good jobs with that and they're they're there. But I think for me, maybe and I think for a lot of people my age that we're understanding that you don't have to stay in one place and that the world is bigger than that. And I would argue that there's it's impossible to now. I mean, before, yeah. you know, you picked a corporation, whatever, they gave you good benefits, they gave you a pension and all this other stuff. I mean, that I mean, maybe some of those jobs still exist, but like most and most of the time in veterinary medicine, if you stay in the same place long term, that doesn't lead to more rewards. It leads to to stagnation of wages and benefits. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I hate to put it that way, but it's like. Pretty much the only salary mobility that you're going to see is if you change positions. I mean, if you're an associate, that that's been my experience. Yeah, yeah. I think I've seen that as well. So, yeah. Um. So, but yeah, you don't have to if you're, you know, stressed and thinking about making the change. Maybe down the road you want to do, you know, plan A, but you might have to pick plan D for a little bit to eventually get to plan A. And that's OK. You also don't have to justify your choice of plan D for a while to anybody either. <laughs> no, you don't. And if and if no. you want to do plan B and then C and then D and then E and then in 10 years, people are like, what the heck were you doing with your life? Like, you know, it's like mine. It was, I was doing my life. I was, yeah, I was I living was doing it. what I wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, living it <laughs> living is the it. answer. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. One thing that I have seen over the years that people do that, that drives me a little bit nuts is, okay, I'll just give an example. So, like, say, um, say when we were in veterinary school and we would be on uh, what was considered to be a, quote, easy rotation, right? You can think of them, dermatology, radiology. What did those have in common? Were those subjects inherently easy? Or was it just that they had reasonable expectations about their quality of life? Yeah, there's the, I actually, when I thought about, if I ever thought about specializing, it was going to be dermatology. And I think that the reasonable expectations about quality of life is one of them. The other for me with that is that I like to like be able to do things. I, I, my type of veterinary medicine is the kind that I can think about a little bit longer before I have an answer. And there aren't very many dermatology emergencies. Right. I can't think of any of them. I mean, maybe there are, but I can't think of any. But, you know, people would make this this one statement that would drive me crazy. They would say, oh, Dr. XYZ live in the dream over in radiology or live in the dream over in derm land or whatever and and by that, they're meaning like, you know, they actually get a lunch. They actually aren't uh, expected to be on call all weekend, every weekend, all year and stuff like that. And they would say it in like a mocking or belittling way. And I don't I'm when people when I hear people do that now, I actually stop them and are like, what do you mean? Explain to <laughs> me what you mean. Like, what do you mean by that? And if they're living your dream, why aren't you living your dream? Why are you bitter about it? Because this is changeable. You know, it's yeah. that that aspect of our profession frustrates me where it's like, so you're gonna you're gonna belittle people and get mad at people who are doing what you're jealous of basically you're jealous of them. And so instead of just doing the same thing yourself, you're gonna make some snide rude ass comments to them about how they don't work hard you know it's just very frustrating and passive aggressive and that frustrates me yeah i think i don't think people have said it in that type of frame but i definitely think i've gone on it's a lot easier to go on bigger vacations now and as people, a relief vet, do you mean as a relief vet, yes mm -hmm. and so people will be like oh you're living dr agnew you're like really living the dream and i am you know, having to live through you by what you're posting on your social media or whatever. Yeah, I want to share that, you know, that joy that I have of finding a job that gives me purpose, but also gives me the flexibility to live my dreams that are outside of work. Yeah, like, Instead of, oh, Dr. Agnew over there living the dream, how about it's like, yes, Dr. Agnew living the dream. <laughs> and that's a difference between that, right? Yeah, for yeah. sure. And, and I'm the second one. We need to be the second one. Come on. Mm -hmm. Live dream. She's showing people that it's possible that you Just can be a veterinarian time. and go and visit every state in the nation. That's it's right. possible. If that's what you want to do. Or if you're mm -hmm. like me, don't go anywhere. Close the blinds, <laughs> sit down, open a book. We had very whatever different... you want, whatever you want. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we had very different pandemic experiences, right. I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we did. 
I was like, no one wants me to do anything. Like, I don't have to come up with any excuse. I can just be like, oh, I can't do that. You know, it's mm-hmm. not safe. Mm-hmm. I better sit in my garden, be in my hammock and read this book. I better listen to 1,000 audiobooks while I detail clean my house. Sorry, I can't come out to whatever thing. I didn't Whereas- want to go anyway. I'm over here like, okay, if I have a camper van and toilets in it and everything else is in it, then I can go places and I'm not going to touch anyone else and I'm going to breathe the outside air and it'll be safe and it'll be fine. Can I do that? I can do that. We'll do that. I can't stay in this house any longer. Oh, oh boy. boy. Well, let's we've talked on relief work a little bit. So yeah. let's let's switch gears and talk about that. You know, I, I'm a relief veterinarian too. You are one of the people that actually inspired me to go out and become a relief vet. What made you interested in relief work initially? So what made me interested in it initially is that it was immediately available. Girl, um, same. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. And I I think that we're not alone in that. I've talked to several people that are associates or owners that I found out went through a stint where they were doing relief work in the past, which was a little surprising, I think, uh, because I it didn't even occur to me until I had to have it. But I started out as it was immediately available. Let me let me sit here for a little while while I figure out what to do. And then. Mm-hmm. There were two things that I was like, oh, this is it. One was my mother-in-law asked if I could come down to visit her in Orlando and we would go to Harry Potter World. (laughs) And I wanted to go to Harry Potter World since Harry Potter World was built because I grew up with Harry Potter, literally, and I was like, oh, gosh. And normally, as an associate, this would be a whole rigmarole of trying to make sure that there was appropriate staffing and that nobody else was going to be taking off and that it was scheduled appropriately. Mm-hmm. And I knew I hadn't scheduled those days because it was like two or three months away. And I went, hang on, let me ask my boss. And I sat there and I sat there and I said, oh, she says it's fine. And it was me because I'm the <laughs> boss. And I was like, this is the best thing ever. So yeah. we went to I went to Orlando um, and we had a great time and I went to Harry Potter World and it was super cool. And I was like, man, like, that's awesome. I can I can do that whenever I want. If I want to go visit my in-laws in, in Florida, I can. If I want to, you know, take a random Thursday off to run errands, I can do that. And that was really eye-opening that I, I'm in charge. It also means that when I un, when I overbook what I really should do for myself, that... <laughs> yeah. I did that. I'm in charge of that, too, which is also good, actually, because I've had weeks where it's it's very tiring. I've worked six days in a seven day period before, but I I made that choice and Mm -hmm. I did not feel as bad about it as I would have if I did that as an associate, because I it was we always have choices, I think, but it's a lot more obvious when we have them, when you're the owner and you are the one that said yes to it. 
Yeah. So that was one thing. And then the second thing was I was doing work as with veterinarians as clients. And I was giving veterinarians the opportunity to step away from practice and get some, in many cases, much needed time away. And sometimes that would be for, you know, like they just, they hadn't hired an associate yet. They just needed a little bit of extra breathing space. And that was really good. And then there was sometimes where it was like a health issue where somebody in the family was ill and they needed to care for them. And that was, that was really, that was rewarding in its own way. And sometimes it was a maternity leave or something like that. But probably the first time I booked a vacation where my veterinary client was like, I'm going on a cruise with my significant other. And they started telling me like they when they called to ask to book me, they literally started telling me about where they were going, who they were going with, how much fun they were anticipating having. And like they were looking forward to it so much. And I went, oh, part of the reason I like this for myself is because I get the amount of work-life balance that I need for myself. One of the things I enjoy is that with veterinarians as my clients, I get to give to my colleagues the work-life balance that they need. My colleagues are amazing people. Like, vets are awesome. Like, not every single one, but, like, most of them are awesome. Like, you don't go into this. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, like, I know what you mean. Yeah, but, like, most of most vets are awesome. Like, you go into this profession because you love animals and you, like, and you like working with like you like people and you care about people and you care about their animals and you care about the human animal bond and like people work themselves to death because they love they love this profession so much and they don't think they can get away they don't think they can take a step back from it and so when it's like oh i can help you take that step back that's awesome like they get to say like oh i don't have to be here all the time i get to take a step back which is super cool it sounds like what you're describing is autonomy. So you're able to have autonomy over yourself and your decisions, and you're able to give the gift of autonomy to other people. And that's really special. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really, really cool. After both of those things happened, I, I, I kind of decided that like this feels like the long-term plan for me. It also seems like a really good thing to tire into because you can kind of downgrade it so if you want to at the age of 70 work four days a week you can have the autonomy to to do that or for or i said four days a week i meant four <laughs> days a month um, because it's 70 or 80 i don't want to work four days a week but i i think Girl, i don't know <laughs> i might but I, it's you know like there are people that are in their 80s and work six days a week but i just know also, a it's not that's not for me though yeah that's for them yeah that's okay but i can but tell you, you right now that's not for me mm -mm. but if you kind of want to like go in and still be a vet a little at that age it's a good way to do it without having to do it all the time yeah yeah you know sometimes <laughs> this might be too personal um sometimes <laughs> Okay, so sometimes, and in, in this has been in different settings, okay, like when I was growing up or like when we were in veterinary school and stuff like that, you'll see very aged veterinarians still coming to, quote, work. You know what I'm saying? But they, <laughs> but what 
our definitions of work are different, you know, and they do physically come, but they kind of just hang out, you know. They're a veterinary emeritus. That's right. (laughs) Veterinarian emeritus. They come in. You know, they hang out, they chat, they maybe talk about, take a nap, ski real quick, you know, and have a lunch and then they go home. And you know what? That's completely fine. It's completely fine. I think that those people are probably, though, like you, Dr. Agnew, extroverted and are like, I really miss having like conversations with people on a daily basis. And I just don't ever see myself being in that position. I'm having a hard time imagining that because yeah, it it was making me like why yeah <laughs> being, yeah being so, at my home is just so pleasant <laughs> so for the you know 70 or 80 year old dr agnew that <laughs> still wants to see clients and wants to see you know pets and and wants that that little bit of like oh you're still dr Hey, Dr. Agnew. Like, you know, I I can envision, you know, a little bit of that where it's not like, oh, God, like she's having to come in six days a week because she's got a full time job. But, you know, I'm still able to provide some relief for people and, you know, come in a few days a week. And I've I've envisioned I think there's a joke now of doctors that haven't kept up and I don't think that every older doctor is has not kept up but I think that there's the joke of of doctors that haven't kept up and they basically have their their penicillin in one pocket and their steroids in the other mm-hmm. and I've I've joked that I think that in 30 years or 50 years whenever I'm I'm super old and I'm still coming in the the one day a month or whatever that I'm gonna have my serenia in one pocket and my convenia in the other <laughs> oh god <laughs> oh, yeah yeah I my mine would definitely be Serenia. Yeah, Serenia they're gonna be like Man. just a bottle of. I would just carry around a bottle of Serenia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe like that. This? Yeah, exactly. It's wonderful. It's the best stuff ever. <laughs> so, Doctor Agnew, what advice would you give a young veterinarian looking for their first job? A few things I think are really, really important. One is advice I was actually given with my first job is to make sure that your first job is somewhere that you really feel comfortable with the level of medicine that you're practicing because you form your good and your bad habits at that first that first place. And I, I, I'm not going to be judgmental or precious about what like level of medicine you want to practice is um, because I think that that is going to differ for people. There are people that they're okay with not being able to access every bell and whistle because what they really are passionate about is rural practicing in a rural place where that that may not be available every bell and whistle may not be available to them but that they are going to spend a lot more time doing surgeries that you're that 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 if you are in a more urban practice, you're probably going to be able to refer. For me, at my first job, I knew that I wanted to be able to offer the best of the best to all of my clients and that many of them would be able to take it. And so I I chose a practice based on that. Um, And I knew that I would be forming habits based on that. But also that you're not stuck you know kind of what we were talking about is is you're not stuck somewhere and that 
when you find that practice, that first practice, it, it doesn't have to be everything you want it to be. And that sometimes you're going to find after you've been there six months that like, man, this isn't a good fit for me. The, the, the days and the times I'm working aren't good. The amount of money I'm making isn't good. The people I'm working with isn't, aren't the people I want to be working with. This is just not a good fit for me. And it's, it's, I think when you're looking for that first job, it's okay to go like, oh, I don't have to stay here. It's okay. I don't have to stay here. And I, I, I say that as a person that's from the state of Alabama, which is a right to work state. So, you know, your uh, mileage may vary depending on how, how your contracts work, but you don't have to stay outside of your your contract obligations. So that that's one thing that's really, really important. Um, but the biggest thing I think, and this is for your first job and your second job and every single job, is you need to know your worth and you need to be willing to ask for your worth and be bold about asking for your worth. Um, and I'm saying that mostly from a financial standpoint, but I think it, it comes from, other, it, it, it goes to other things too. I think you had Dana on a few weeks ago and she was talking about how Southern women are trained to be nice and like go with the flow and all this kind of things. And I think that we're also trained to not ask for things that seem bold. And I'm very lucky that I have a support system that says like, no, you're worth more than that. And you look at, you know, I've looked at how much you should be making and you should ask for more. And I think that you you need to to know what is reasonable for your area, but also like ask for the raises and ask for the amount in your contract that you're worth. And if you are nervous about that, having a support structure that is a partner or a colleague or a friend in a completely different field that is going to say, hey, you have never asked for a raise and you're not getting paid what you're worth and you should be. I, I think there's a lot of things that contribute to the uh, gender wage gap, but I think that there is an amount of women being trained, especially in the South, to not ask for what they're worth. And I think that especially with young grads being mostly women in the veterinary field, that we we are not going to get paid our full value if we don't boldly ask for it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Can I add can I add some Dr. Greider's advice for your first job onto the end of that? Absolutely. <laughs> or not your not even just your first job, but any job. If you're taking Every an job. associate job, do not sign a contract that has a non-compete clause in it. Do not. You can send your hate mail directly to JJ. <laughs> um, no. Hey. Uh, but just seriously, don't do it. You know, non-compete clauses, everybody always is like, well, I can kind of understand, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, most of the time they're not legally enforceable. No. Never sign anything that you're not willing to abide by. That's that's number one. You know, say you live in the Huntsville area, just as an example where we live. There's a thousand veterinary clinics. I mean, it's it's a crap ton, right? Throw a rock, you'll hit one. <laughs> right. And uh, say you come in, you're coming into that, you're moving into the area and you're going to go to work as a, at a clinic and, and you're going to sign a non-compete. You've got to remember that you might want to leave that job and still stay in the area. And if your non-compete is extremely restrictive, then you might not be able to do that. So you just have to plan ahead. And in my opinion, you should never sign something that you're not 
100% sure you're always going to agree to. So instead of, like a lot of people are, are in favor of just signing it, just, you know, smooth things over. And then if something happens, it won't be legally enforceable. No, just don't sign it, right? Negotiate it out of your contract completely. You got to feel comfortable with that. So that's my number one advice is don't sign a non-compete. Now, uh, that's for associates. If you're selling a practice, you're buying a practice, a non-compete in that situation is completely reasonable, right? You you wouldn't want to buy a practice from someone and have them set up next door. So in that situation, a non-compete is fine, okay? But a normal associate arrangement, do not sign a non-compete, <laughs> uh, especially in this veterinary climate where every single person needs an associate. Oh my gosh, you should be able to like essentially write your own contract right now. Like take advantage of it. So that's my advice. <laughs> I have something to add on to that. Okay. I think that if you're signing a contract, you should have a professional look at your contract before oh, definitely. you sign it. Yeah, an attorney needs to review it. Yeah. So yeah. attorneys, I think people get a little like hung up because they're like, oh, that's like 200 or $250. That's really expensive. But the thing is, is that you're signing a contract for a uh, what could be a, a year of of work that's going to be somewhere in the range of seventy to one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Two hundred fifty bucks and all of that is just not very much. So right. have an attorney look at your contract and make sure that you're not signing something that you aren't comfortable with. I agree. And along those lines, I just thought of something else. I have no plans to ever be an associate again, okay? But I feel for them. I was one for a long time, and I just want to help. But do I would be extremely cautious about signing any sort of contract that tried to dictate what type of work you do outside of the contracted hours, right? So if they have some sort of clause in this contract that says you can't work in any capacity for any other vet, that's a no for me. Because what if you want to pick up emergency shifts on the weekend? Mm, yeah. Um, you need to be able to be in control of how you earn your living. And so I would, you know, looking back, I would no longer be comfortable signing anything that said anything like that. If I were going to, it would have to be extremely specific and have some exceptions in it. You know, um, there's no reason to be limiting uh, your ability to make money. Uh, and, and when you're signing an agreement to be an associate, they don't own you. You know, you're contracting for a certain number of hours. They shouldn't be able to control what you do on the weekends and that kind of thing. Agreed. Yep. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, I think that's good. In, I think that's any, really good. Any other advice? I mean, this is stuff they don't go over in veterinary school. I mean, they should. Maybe they do now, but when I was they, there, they, they didn't. They do, they now. do now. Um, oh, that's the, good. Uh, we did it. So we did it. There was the state association did an economic forum at the university, mm -hmm. and um, they actually do have people that help uh, students with contract negotiations um, and can kind of also compare full contract worth. So basically help you add, okay, this is how much you're getting paid. Does it have are you getting paid compensation on top of that? What kind of benefits are you getting and how much are those worth, et cetera? So that is actually being offered at the oh, university. Thank goodness. Yeah, yeah that yeah. needs to happen for sure. Yeah. Okay. Any, any other advice for, um, well, for anyone, new, new grads or anybody, any youngsters that are, are trying to negotiate a job change or anything like that? 
I mean, I just think it goes back to don't be scared and don't be, don't limit. You, did you have Dr. Hendricks as a teacher? The parasitologist? Yeah. yeah. You're a vet. You can do anything. You can do anything. <laughs> and that's, it sounds super hokey, but that's my true. God, it's, it's one of those degrees where it, you're so specialized and yet you're so, you have such a broad range of things that you can do. So, you know, you're, you're a vet, you can do anything and there's more to learn. You can keep learning what you learn outside of school can enhance how you practice and where you practice and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Before we leave this general topic, there is one last thing that I want to go over. I know we've spent a lot of time during this episode talking about how veterinarians have tons of opportunities and you don't have to go back to school to do X or Y or Z and that sort of thing. And all of that is 100% true. But I do also want to mention that if you have a burning desire to learn things in a new area or if you do want to go back to school and do something completely different, that's also okay. Last week on the podcast, we sort of just kind of glossed over in the in the exit, you know, the information that I'm going back to school currently to earn a master's degree in counseling. And, you know, that's something that luckily my support system, my friends and family have been super supportive about. But unfortunately, I have encountered in one this week even some veterinarians who are taking that information really personally. So I just wanted to mention that like what you decide to do in your career for yourself is for you and it's okay. And you can do literally whatever you want to do. You don't have to justify your decisions to anybody. You can go back to school, start a whole new career. You can go back to school, get information, stay in your career and never use the new thing that you got. You you literally don't have to do anything. You're not in career or school jail. If you want to learn something, if you want to branch out, if you want to do something different, do it. That's my advice. And also, if you're a person who is hearing me say that and having a reaction like, oh, that makes me mad. Um, I've had people tell me that because I am a veterinarian, I am I am obligated to always provide veterinary services for the rest of my life. <laughs> That I don't. Wow. I was just like, whoa, okay. Wow. I I don't know how to really respond to that, um, except that I'm not obligated to do shit uh, <laughs> for anybody, uh, actually. So somewhere veteran- Dana is cheering right now. I know Dana is like, oh my god, she's ready. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I've had people. I've had other veterinarians have very strong negative reactions to that information and i'm thinking like why is me going and doing something for me that i've kind of always wanted to do and i just happen to be in like the lifestyle and financial situation to be able to achieve that like why is that so threatening to you like why why do you feel the the need to come after me for that so anyway i guess i just wanted to say like do what now jealousy Save well, people maybe. that talk crap about derma radiology. Right. Yeah. So it's just <laughs> like uh, I've had people say like, well, so you're leaving veterinary medicine. You're going to go be a therapist. And I'm like, actually, I haven't really decided what I'm going to do long term. I'd actually love to combine the two things. 
and be a veterinary therapist <laughs> for <laughs> people. I know that sounds crazy and I doubt you can make money doing that. So I probably won't be able to do that. But like, that's what I would love to do. But like the things that you enjoy, the things that you want to learn about, the things that you want to use to grow don't have to be the same things that earn you money. You don't have to monetize every yes. single thing you that absolutely you do and learn. Right, right. I'm just to a place in my personal growth journey and with therapy that I've kind of been in therapy for such a long time that I can kind of like intervene on my own behalf and be like, nope, you're making a thinking error right now. Let's go back to what this philosopher said, you know, and everything like that. So I'm kind of at the at a point where individual therapy, I'm kind of outgrowing it, but I am not done. I want to keep learning. And so I was like, well, what can I do? I really am to the point where I just need to go to school to be a therapist to learn these things. So that's what I decided to do. So anyway. Kudos to you. Thank you. That's awesome. I also, on a completely sort of related note, it sounds like you're throwing off the bonds of capitalism. Oh! <laughs> you can and send your hate mail directly way. to Dr. Agnew. Uh, and, yeah, we, we, we will we, have the <laughs> email in the show notes of how uh, to throw off the bonds of capitalism. Right. We, we actually, we try very hard not to um, address political things on this podcast. Sorry. That's actually a rule that we have. So we're just going to leave it at that. Um, <laughs> we can cut that. Okay. Man, cut that. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, but luckily I'm far enough along in this whole thing where I'm just like, instead of like, oh, now I'm going to have a crisis of identity and go home and wonder, what if this person who I don't, I wouldn't go to advice normally, what if this person is right and I'm being selfish? Now I'm just like, what the fuck ever? So I don't really know why you need to tell me that. But anyway. <laughs> Beep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well dr agnew thank you so much for joining us today yes we've enjoyed having thank you. you for having me if you um you know if you ever want to hear from the extroverted side of things <laughs> are you going to start a podcast called extra vets uh no i don't think i could do it as well as you guys do um oh. a and b um you got too much shit going on you're the representative for everything I am the representative yeah. for everything, but it's okay. okay. I'm going to, I'm going to recruit y'all to do that. No. Too, so. no. <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> if you have questions, stories, or anything else you'd like for us to read, please send it to introvetspodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on social media. Uh, we're on Instagram and Facebook. And it's at introvets. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help. Yes, please. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>